Welcome to the Parents at Work podcast, a podcast for parents who want to succeed at work while also raising children. My name is Lori Mahalik-Levin. I'm a healthcare lawyer. I'm a founder of a program called Mindful Return that helps employers to retain their new parent top talent. And I'm mama to two wonderful redheaded boys. I'm joined by my co-host here today, my amazing husband, Jason Levin. Hey, Jason. Hello, Lori. It's always a pleasure to be the husband of Lori Mahalik-Levin. I founded Ready, Set, Launch LLC 10 years ago, where I help executives make career and retirement transitions, get the promotion, and grow their professional services practice. And so this month, we've been focusing on the very interesting profession of fundraising. We just completed our moms in fundraising, and today we're super lucky to be doing dads in fundraising, where we have two really interesting fundraisers, both Mark Verson and Dale Wright. I'll start with Mark. Mark Verson is Chief Development Officer of Lutheran Family Services of Nebraska. In 2020, Mark set a record for total annual fundraising by hitting $7 million dollars including the largest gift in Lutheran Family Services history of 128 years of $3 million, while surpassing 22% growth in total number of donors. Mark is a seasoned advancement professional with experience in private and public higher education institutions and executive leadership in the health and human services nonprofit sector. He's a firm believer that philanthropy changes lives. Mark and his wife, Jesse, have two children residing in Louisville, Nebraska. Braylon, his 12-year-old daughter, an active competitive volleyball player, Fisher, and fundraiser in her own right. So it's all in the family. And Zegan, his eight-year-old son, is all boy and enjoys his video games, sports, reading, and his beloved companion, Anna, who is his five-year-old pit bull. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome, Mark. We're excited to have you here. And I want to hear more about Braylon's own fundraising, too. Dale Wright is also with us today. We're really excited to have him here. He serves as Associate Dean and Chief Advancement Officer for the Granger College of Engineering at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. He's responsible for the strategy and operations in fundraising and constituent engagement, and he's the campaign's director for the college's $550 million goal in the With Illinois $2.25 billion comprehensive campaign. As of today, the college is at 109% of its goal. Over the last 20 plus years, Dale has held a variety of alumni and fundraising engagement roles in higher education. He's an active case volunteer and also holds membership in organizations such as the African American Development Officers Network, the Association of Fundraising Professionals, and he's involved in other nonprofit work as well, including serving on the executive committee of the board of directors for the American Legion Boys State of Missouri. Dale loves his family and knows he wouldn't be where he is today without the support of his wife, Christina, Chrissy, and his daughters, his four daughters, Cadence, who's 11, Milana, who's nine, and twins, Leighton and Isla, who are four. Welcome, Dale and Mark. You are both in the thick of working parenthood for sure. Glad to have you here today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely. So, Mark, let's start with you. Please, if you would, tell us a little bit about your own working parent story. Sure. It, uh, you know, mine's, I think, a little bit different than many. Mine happened on an accident. And when I was actually still in college, my, I played basketball in college and my wife and I found out we were going to be blessed with a daughter, then had her the day of my blue and gray scrimmage my senior year. So, you know, as most college athletes, you don't expect one to 
get into that situation potentially or have to work during that situation because it's a full-time commitment. So I didn't have that luxury. So I found a, I got kind of thrown into it right away. I actually started working at the airport because it was the only one that the timing worked. So I was out there from four o'clock in the morning till six or seven in the morning to get off to, to go to individual weights or conditioning or practice to go to class and flip-flop and with my wife and our daughter back and forth because we couldn't afford daycare to flip again for practice and weights and study table to swap again for night class for my wife and then swap again for me to go back out to the airport until one or one o'clock in the morning. So that's how I, I got thrown into my working parent story. From after graduation, I, I think with, and Dale could probably attest to this too, that in fundraising, no one really sets out to become a fundraiser, right? You, when you're five years old and someone says, what do you want to be? Uh, you know, of the likes of, I want to be a firefighter, right? No right, one says, right. I want to be a fundraiser. <laughs> but, but somebody just says, hey, you know, I think you should do this. I think you'd like it and be good at it. And my basketball coach actually said, hey, there's a job at the Alumni Foundation and I think you'd like it and I think you'd be good at it. And so fell into advancement and he was right. I love it. And I've been fundraising ever since. Um, we moved uh, every couple of years, which uh, it can be challenging, right? In the sense of uprooting your, your children and, and lives to, for new opportunities. And so, you know, it's been a whirlwind. We're now settled, which is great. I'm off the road of travel, which was the biggest thing. You know, I think uh, the hardest part was I spent 267 nights on the road one year um, traveling for work. And, wow. you know, with two kids that, and ultimately my wife being a single mom, it was challenging. And so, Thankfully for technology, you know, we were able to FaceTime at games and, and everything else. But, you know, that balance was very challenging to navigate through. And again, I'm just, I'm really fortunate to have a supporting partner that really recognized that, hey, this is something that, uh, this is our lifestyle for now, knowing that there will be an end in sight. But uh, it was navigating the road warrior life as well as in when you're home and, and giving that reprieve to the wife and, building that relationship with, uh, with our, my kids. It was, you know, it's been a, it's been a whirlwind of a transition from, from that to now I'm home all the time, which is so much welcomed, but it, uh, it's been, it's been interesting. So I've been in advancement now for about 10 years and really love that uh, I get to integrate my family into my work. And, and that's been a, a joy of mine as well. Mm. Wow, Mark, you know, I think entering parenthood and working parenthood is always dramatic and exhausting, but what you described takes dramatic and exhausting to a totally new level. <laughs> it made us stronger for it. We'll say that. Yes. You know, because when you look at the time demands, not only of being a college student, but being a student athlete, which is in and of itself a full-time commitment, and then you add parenthood on top. And a job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where did you find your inspiration? I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, honestly. It was my daughter, right? We, it was not even a hesitation. We had to do it. And, you know, my wife, she worked 40, 50 hours a week as well. And so we were very fortunate that we had a community behind us that helped us out. That, you know, we, it was funny because we, we counted up one time and just started listing off names that helped us out from my teammates to colleagues to teachers to our coaches, my coaches to red shirts that, you know, fortunately our coach would say, uh, oh, to one of our red shirts. Hey, you got Braylon for this practice because Mark <laughs> Mark has uh, has her today. We counted over 120 people that had supported us and watched our daughter in a two year span to help us out. And you know, so our, my inspiration really came from you know we got to do it for her. She deserves a, a life and a chance to really flourish in her own right. And then also we just I don't know it, it was a, a self pride thing of navigating through and and really just saying we can do this and we'll eventually get to a place where we're we're comfortable and. 
and happy, but you know, for now we just, uh, we got to do it in any which way we can. So we're, we're also very fortunate that she was a great kid <laughs> because we didn't have a true schedule. So we didn't have the regular cadence of, you know, nap time here or bedtime here. It was sometimes she was at Applebee's until one o'clock in the morning and people taking turns watching her throughout the shift. And so it was, you know, it was interesting, but it, it, she was definitely our inspiration of just wanting to make sure that we gave her the opportunity to have the life she deserves. Wow. And what an incredible um, use of your village, really. I mean, that, that concept of having that community who can step in and relying on them has been something we've been desperately missing during COVID. And it really highlights how important that is in those early years. Thank you, Mark, for Absolutely. sharing your story. Yeah. Dale, over to you. Let's hear your working parent story. How did it all begin? Yeah. So nothing quite as exciting <laughs> as Mark. And Mark, I remember when I first met you hearing all that and thinking, wow, that's, <laughs> that is incredible. And um, I've just been so pleased to see how how you and your family have, have uh, grown uh, o- over the years and uh, well, just this truly remarkable uh, story of, of love. It really, love does really conquer all, right? So, you know, so for me, like I said, nothing, nothing too dramatic. So we, we found out uh, in late 2008 that my wife and I, that we were going to, you know, be first, or sorry, early 2009, that we found out we'd be first time parents. And so, um, so that was, that was really, it was a really exciting time for us. We were both uh, at, at our alma mater, the University of Missouri, both of us, uh, you know, doing very well in our careers. And so, you know, what a fun time. And we were just, we were finishing up a, a big uh, billion dollar campaign um, at the university. So at first it was like, wow, this is going to be great. You know, the campaign's going to be over. We're going to be new parents. So we'll, we'll get a little bit of a time to, to ease into new parenthood, you know, and as the university sort of goes on our sort of thanking tour, if you will. And then somewhere in 2009, our, our dean announced that he was going to be retiring. And he had been our dean. I was in the business school. And he had been a dean for 20 years. <laughs> so, so then I immediately thought, uh-oh. So we're getting a new dean, probably not from the faculty, which means whoever comes in is going to want to you know, get out and be on the road and those types of things. And so I remember you know, at that time, before kids, you know, I was traveling, like Mark mentioned, a, a pretty fair amount of time, right? And so my wife and I had been married for four years already, so we had kind of gotten used to that cadence. And then it was that, wait a minute, <laughs> what happens here if, uh, if now we have a kid and I'm traveling and if it has to ramp up, you know, under a new team and things like that? And so, so that was something that we had to do a little bit of soul searching. And luckily, right, like we, we had such a great network that I was able to lean on other folks who had been, you know, in this position and, you know, gave us really good words of wisdom and, and things to, you know, things to sort of to be on the lookout for. And what was really helpful to me, I think, was having a lot of, I knew a lot of working moms who were the development uh, professional. Mm-hmm. And so they were able to share, you know, some pretty unique perspectives, even, you know, even with my wife in terms of what happens when, you know, when you're, when you're sort of all alone and those sorts of things. And so it worked out, you know, fine, I think, you know, for us and, I was fortunate that the, the new dean at the time, you know, came on board, understood, and you know, was pretty flexible with me. Certainly in those early months um, of Cadence's life, and so yeah, and we just kind of—it's amazing what you can get used to and and learn from. And so it it worked out fine, and you know, Cadence sooner than maybe we thought became a big sister, and <laughs> and and you know, matured right up and was very helpful to mom. You know, at that point when Milana was born. And then as we transitioned um, here, taking a job here at Illinois, we got, we got the surprise of our lives when we found out 
right as we were basically, you know, kind of at finishing up the blueprints for our new home that we were building, that we were pregnant again, and this time with twins. <laughs> so, the number of kids right there. So, you know, and so at that point, I think my wife was like, wait a minute, you just moved us <laughs> you know, a few hundred miles away. We're building this house. You know, you, you've got this, you got this big position at the University of Illinois and this huge campaign. And, you know, the public phase is just about to get launched and we're having twins. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my goodness, Dale. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Bless your soul, know. Dale. Yeah. And ironically enough, I'm a twin. So, um, ah. so we were able to lean on my mom a little bit for, you know, for some advice there, which was mainly her just laughing at the situation. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow you're still here and you've survived four years of the uh, four girl thing. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I have to say, I have a shout out to my mother-in-law as well, who has come and, and helped us out many times. <laughs> too. Yeah. So, so two great moms there to, to help us out throughout all this. Wonderful. Wonderful. So Dale, I want to stick with you for our next question and then we'll turn to Mark. I'm wondering if you can generalize a little bit and say what it's like to be a parent in the fundraising industry, profession rather. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, so it's interesting, you know, and I, I certainly have reflected a lot on this, especially during the pandemic when I was actually, you know, thankfully able to be around my family, <laughs> truly, you know, really for the first time. I felt like in many respects, you know, because I just didn't have, you know, I haven't traveled for work and now going on. 19 months or so, wow. which, which neither of my daughters, have, you know, none of the daughters have ever experienced, you know, but I will say that what's interesting is that, you know, much like this has tends to be sort of a male dominated uh, field in terms of like leadership, right? I certainly have looked back and realized, wow, I was, I was probably granted some sort of grace and or just my career probably flourished because, you know, I had, I had such a great wife, right, who was able to really manage and balance out, like, all these things while also herself, you know, growing in her career. So, you know, I've been, I've been really grateful for how grounded she kept me in terms of making certain that I was, you know, being a parent. And I think that was, I think that's been, the, I think, the tough thing for some fundraisers sometimes that, like, it's hard for us to turn the fundraiser off. Mm. You know, in us, and uh, you know, I was I was just really fortunate that my wife was always kept me grounded in that. Like the most important job I have is being a parent, <laughs> and a, you know, and a husband, right? Yeah. And then that was where I really tried to keep my focus, and I think ultimately it made me a better leader and a better fundraiser. Uh, certainly, as I practice better listening skills, <laughs> as I have I have no shortage of opinions. <laughs> every day, but which I need to navigate. Yeah, we heard the same thing when we talked to the moms in fundraising about it being sort of an always on um, being so driven by the mission that you want to keep doing it all the time and really trying to figure out how to install those boundaries so that you can turn off that fundraising hat and turn on the family time. Um, Mm -hmm. And just curious, uh, before we go over to Mark, whether you've I know you said your wife was a really amazing support in that regard. Is there anything else that you found really helpful in setting those boundaries and being able to turn off to be with your family? I think really the biggest thing is that like just what the pandemic taught us and particularly in higher education fundraising mm-hmm. was, I mean, I think we always knew this and I, I, and I certainly felt this as, as I tried to balance, which was just like, wait, 
if the goal of ours is to make the connection. Mm -hmm. And so then we really should be focused on what makes the donor more comfortable. And I found over time that, you know, as you built that rapport with donors, they didn't need us. They didn't need to be in front of us or us in front of them three to four times a year or a month or whatever, whatever we convinced ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. In, in order to earn, earn those hotel points and airline miles, right? And so I, I kind of was reminded of, of that even before the pandemic and certainly during the pandemic, right? Where it's just amazing what you can kind of get used to. And so going forward now, you know, I'd say to my team now, I'm like, look, I'm not, I'm not sure we should by default think that we're just going to get back out there and just qualify people in person again. Right. And that's a, that's such a big component of our jobs. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, how do we, how do we leverage, you know, this, this ability that we, that we've like, that was always there, but we've now discovered that we could actually do in terms of like building that rapport and how do we balance that out to make certain that we keep you know, our families, whether that family is, you know, human or, or, you know, furry legged friends or what have you. Right. But like, what are those other things that are important that help motivate us in our, in our current jobs that we need to be mindful of that are, that need to remain important to us as we return to whatever the next normal is, you know, for our work. Yeah. It sounds like there's an opportunity here for a real fundamental shift in the profession. And I love that you're looking at that question critically as we move into the next couple of months. This episode of the Parents at Work podcast is brought to you by Ready, Set, Launch, a boutique career coaching firm that supports executives in career and retirement transitions, as well as building their professional services practices. I'm Jason Levin, and I've been supporting executives achieving their goals in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors for the past 10 years. Based on those experiences, I decided to write a book called Relationships to Infinity, the art and science of keeping in touch. We say keep in touch, but we struggle to do so. I wrote this book so that my readers could have proven research-based tactics to keep in touch and reap all the benefits. I'm excited about this book and I know that you will too. Head over to readysetlaunch.net or connect with me on LinkedIn to learn more about the book. Be happy to learn more about your goals and your organization and how there might be a fit. Again, head over to readysetlaunch.net to get back in touch. Now, back to our episode. Over to you, Mark. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what you would say it is like to be a parent in the fundraising profession? Yeah, and Dill, I, I, I can relate to you in the sense of, of turning it off. That's one thing that I have a hard time doing that is actually something I continuously struggle with and, and need to work on because I think predominantly those in fundraising are very extroverted individuals in a sense, or at least in, in conversation, maybe not in the sense of in their personal lives of, you know, I'm going to go out and be friends with everybody, but that's who I am. I mean, we'll be sitting at the lake at the beach and all of a sudden I'm talking to two random people that uh, I get their life story. And it's just like, it, it's not so much that I'm trying to do the fundraising side of it, but that's just kind of wired into me. But, you know, I think one thing that I would say about being a parent in this industry is the balance is hard to find. And the why I say that, I mean, the, take the travel out of it, even now that I'm more grounded and, and look, I traveled maybe before the pandemic, my first year, I traveled seven nights and that was for speaking engagements around the country or so forth. Compared to 267, I'll take that any day of the week to be home with the family. But it's different, right? Because now it's maybe longer nights in the office or more dinners. Like even tonight, we're going on vacation tomorrow and I, I have a dinner with a potential new board member tonight from, from 6.30 to 8.00. Well, 
by the time you get home and, and settled and everything else, summer, it's fine. The kids are up a little bit later, but during the school year, you know, if you're having two or three dinners in, in a week, you all of a sudden miss out on your family time at night. So, you know, I would say that it's, it's a challenging profession to be a working parent in and it takes a, it takes a good partnership. Honestly, I, I, I can't say it enough that if, if it wasn't for my wife, I, I would have really had to consider a different profession because she is, she is the one that's really held down the fort at home and takes on the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of being with the kids and the responsibility of, of caretaker to get to, you know, practice at six in one location to drop the other off at practice at six thirty in another, and then back to pick up. I mean, so that, that balance is, is challenging. I, it's uh, something that I continuously struggle with, to be honest with you, is being able to find that balance. Obviously COVID threw that all for a loop. It was, you know, being home and not leaving the house for over a year. It, it was, it forced the hand of, of, we need to figure out what that balance looks like better. And it's some things that we've been able to take forward. Say, for example, even last night, just taking the dog for a walk down to the mailbox and playing catch with the football while we do it. You know, it's little things like that, that, you know, we took for granted before of, of what we were able to do. So, you know, I think uh, the easiest way to describe it is it's, it's a challenge, you know, it's a challenging profession because it's an ever changing climate, especially now coming off of the pandemic. But, you know, one conversation is never the same as the other. And so it's the inconsistency within the role itself can be challenging to navigate from a mental psyche standpoint of, you know, what is today going to bring? And, you know, switching from my background in higher ed to the health and human services world, it's so vastly different in so many ways, you know, in the affinity, trying to build affinity in, in health and human services versus you have a new set of donors that are graduating three times a year from, an alma mater, from their alma mater. So identifying that the conversations are different, the impact is different, the clientele is different. And uh, so for me too, one of the challenges of working in the profession was I, learning the new profession. There are so many things that I was naive about within the child welfare system or around refugee and immigration, but even the behavioral health side of it that I'm extremely passionate about from uh, some personal and you know family matters that uh, I've lived with my entire life and and so forth. You know, it's it's a big learning curve, and I think that that's one of the challenges within the profession is when you you don't go to school for this, you fall into it. Someone says you'll be good at it. Say you were in sales, you'll be good at. Well, you don't sometimes see the fruits of your labor. You don't see that, that ROI, that success hit rate that you may see in another field in the timeframe that you'd like to see it. You know, if it takes 12 to 18 months to close a major gift and the turnover rate is at 14 months, well, if people aren't seeing the, the work that they're doing come to fruition for that satisfaction and that gratification, you know, it's challenging. And, and I think that all plays into it of, you know, you have longer hours, you're not with your family as much, you're not with that network that we talked about earlier as much, and you have to find that balance, but it's, it's hard to do so because Sometimes as Dale, Dale, you're 100% right that I think it's changing a lot of how frequently do we need to see some people and convincing yourself that it's okay to step back. And, you know, so I think that identifying some of those changes of what that's going to be coming out of the pandemic is going to be so vitally important for, for all organizations and especially for, for all of us that uh, have fallen in love with this profession. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what, what I find fascinating in hearing Dale talk and hearing you talk is you're two road warriors. And I didn't really fully comprehend the face-to-face component of what it's like to be a fundraiser. And, you know, there's this whole conversation nationally about, you know, going back to office. But what I'm hearing from both of you is a sub-conversation on, do we need to be in people's offices or in people's faces uh, faces (laughs) at all? Well, not at all, but frequent rate, which I find really fascinating. Yeah. I was also reflecting on um, how you both talked about 
how important a supportive partner has been in all of this. And when we talked to the moms in fundraising, we definitely heard a similar theme. I mean, one of the moms had a father who was a stay-at-home dad and took care of all of that. And it allowed her to navigate some of the time constraints and demands and really sort of this equal partnership um, was really helpful and important. So I think it does take the team to make this sort of career work. Yeah, I think both of you have had your teams and then your extended communities. Mm -hmm. Uh, For Dale, it's been family and the in-laws and uh, and those kinds of things. And for Mark, you're, I mean, you've just had a myriad of people that have been supportive, which is absolutely wonderful. As we're talking about support, and I want to go to Dale on this, what workplace supports did you find particularly helpful as you became a working parent? Back in the early days when they were being born. Or I guess you it wasn't so long ago that your twins were born too. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, I, I will say that I think with the exception of one manager, <laughs> you know, everyone else was just so understanding. You know, and I, and this might not be the case for everyone because, you know, no one's required to have children, right? But I think what, you know, what helped was I, I had always re- worked with folks for the most part who, who themselves were parents. Mm-hmm. And so I think there was just that sort of natural camaraderie that came with that and comes with that. And I think, you know, certainly in higher ed, right? Like it's, um, if there's just, and, and, you know, we've been at two big public research uh, universities and all of our daughters have had the experience of going to the, being able to attend for their um, preschool, um, the, the respective child development research labs. <laughs> and so that really helped as well. Because they focus as much on the parents and supporting the parents as they as they do the development of the children, right? Like they really do teach us to really be, you know, these mutual partners uh, here in that aspect. And and I actually found I've actually found those experiences to be very comforting. And also, you're right, like your kids are around other you know parents, and there's that community that sort of builds there. And it's that was that was helpful for me to meet folks who worked in different roles and I did or different jobs that, that really kind of let me see what it was like for them um, as well and how, how they sort of balance things out too. So I would say that I've just been really fortunate to have, again, great coworkers and certainly supervisors that understood. And then for me, just the unique experience of the, of the child development laboratory uh, experience has just been phenomenal. Very cool. So Mark, what workplace supports did you find helpful as you became a working parent? Yeah, I think it's very similar to Dale. I, I've had great managers and supervisors that that truly understand it. And I would say the biggest thing that they gave me was flexibility. You know, knowing that your workday in a in a fundraising role is not your traditional, you know, eight to five, because you may have to be up at seven for a bre- you know, at a breakfast by seven, so then they can get to work by eight, or you're having a dinner after hours or homecoming. I mean, I think about homecoming, Dale, and I know that. Uh, you could probably relate to this too. Homecoming was always just a crazy, crazy week and weekend in higher ed. And so, you know, knowing that whether you want to comp time or just recognizing that you look, we all need some reprieve. I had some phenomenal bosses that just take the time that you need. And if I needed to run for the day, I, I mean, I, I think of one time I was working at Colorado College actually, and uh, my son was challenging when he was a baby. We'll say that. And my wife called in tears and, and just said, I need a break. And I remember my boss just sitting there. I was like, you know, I'm hesitant, right? I was still young and you go in there and she didn't have kids. And I said, look, I I need to run home for a couple hours and and what's going on. And, you know, was able to talk through what it was. 
I just said, oh, get out of here. You know, don't even come back for the rest of the day. Just go take care of it. Give Jesse a break and, and everything else. And so, you know, I think that support system there was, was huge. The other thing that I think within the fundraising industry, whether it's higher ed or health and human services, there's so many opportunities to bring your family into your work, whether it's events or, you know, for me, my wife has helped me close <laughs> big gifts without me even realizing it, you know, and my kid even. It's a funny story. When I was at North Dakota State's foundation, one of our donors was up and invited us over to the Holiday Inn. They have a pirate pool there. And we were playing catch, having drinks, eating pizza and swimming. And all of a sudden, my son chucks a football and just drills this donor right in the face. (laughs) And and it was at that moment that he committed to a six-figure gift. You know, it's like... So, you know, I think if there's, if you can embrace those opportunities to get them involved, whether it's a football game or homecoming or an event or bring them to your work, whatever it may be, that's always been a pretty good support system as well to have those be allowed. Wow. What a story. I guess everybody needs to be hit in the face with the football. What, was it a regular football or Nerf football? No, it was a little Nerf football. So, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And I still talk to that donor to this day, even not at NDSU. They're, they're, it's funny what, uh, you know, you bring, if you can bring your family and, and personal life into the mix with some donors that it's more real, that trust is there and, and it, uh, it can really help in, in those relationships too. That's amazing. I mean, it sounds like Dale and you uh, have been very blessed in having supportive supervisors, you know, continuing on this theme of, you know, becoming a parent while you're a fundraiser, what supports didn't you have, but you think other parents might benefit from looking back? So I would say something, something that I hit on before and Mark was, you know, was getting at it too, was that I think there needs to be more, I think there needs to be more honesty in how we, how we train our, you know, our fundraisers and, and the frame of mind, right? Because I do think both Mark and I grew up in a time where it was, you know, the, the traits that were seen as the most desirable in the profession were the road warriors, right? Like, these are the people who are willing to, you know, they were willing to travel in the middle of the night and be gone for weeks at a time and, you know, all those types of things. And, but we, did we ever really look back on that and say, well, what, what was that the best thing for them? Like from a, not just from a actual productivity standpoint, from just like larger, like health, you know, uh, you know, those sorts of things. Um, And so I look back on a lot of this, Jason and I say, wow, I can't, you know, there are times where I'm like, I can't believe I'm still in this profession, (laughs) you know, quite, quite candidly, just with some of the attitudes or the ways in which, you know, we really thought about like how the relationship building. And so that's something that I've been really, I've been really focused on is trying to be better at, at helping my team and those that I mentor be much better about actually focusing on how deeply we can build relationships and the myriad of ways that we should be looking into that and not trying to have this sort of all roads still lead back to this sole singular approach to our work. Great. That's brilliant. Mark, what do you think? Yeah, I, similar tone. You know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I've mentioned a couple of times that we fall into this profession, right? There's no formal education. There's more coming about now, right? With, uh, uh, the program at Indiana, I believe Texas was working on an undergrad program, a bachelor's program in philanthropy and studies and so forth. But there's no, there's no onboarding workbook. I, I think that's consistent of bringing us into the fold of, of being fundraisers. And there's a false perception of what fundraising is still 
you know, even with some of my family, I, I was at a family reunion two weeks ago for my grandparents' 65th wedding anniversary with 70 family and, and members from all across the country, all in different roles and everything else. And then when it comes to fundraising, the common thing, and Dale, I'm sure you get this all the time. So you just ask for money, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, that's not what we do, right? I mean, there's so much more to it. And, and frankly, we do our job, right? I, I never really have had to really ask for the money. It's more of a, we, we're coming to an agreement on making an impact. So I do. I, I think that that is something that, you know, setting those boundaries up front with individuals. I mean, I think that's something that I've taken into my leadership here at LFS as well. You know, it's we work hard. We work weird hours. We have to have that, that flexibility, but also clear expectations is, is, you know, here's what we need to do. And that's something that there's not a, a guidebook or a playbook that, that you can go off of because it's different for every organization. But I mean, there's some common underlying factors that come into play, but there isn't a, a written rule to what we do. And so, you know, I, I guarantee you the way Dale goes about fundraising is different than I do. Both have been successful, but you can't put a, you can't put it on paper to say, this is how, this is how you do it. Right. And I think that that's probably one of the challenges of what uh, support systems maybe we don't have in our profession, but you know, it's something that I continuously am trying to figure out what that balance is as well, because it is, we're, we're all different and go about it in different ways. Great. Thanks, Mark. Okay. So we end every one of our episodes by asking our guests three specific questions, which I'm going to toss over to you. Let's start with you, Mark. Um, what's your number one best piece of advice for navigating life as a working parent? Number one book and number one piece of technology. Great questions. Number one piece of advice, and I tell myself this, and I, I mean it, I, I'm continuously working on it, is shut it off. And, and I, I struggle with it. I'll be in I'm even talking to some people about it and everything else, but how to shut it off because we live in an era that we are connected 24 seven, right? Whether it's through your phone, whether it's social, whatever it may be, we're constantly connected. And so finding a way to shut it off is just so important. And we have to take care of ourselves. That's why I ultimately I got out of higher ed as a road warrior because I had a couple of health challenges that were from stress and, and wasn't able to shut off and so forth. So number one piece of advice, I would definitely say find a way to shut it off, whether it's camping, fishing, running, whatever it may be. So find a way to shut it off. Number one book, I have to be very candid with you. I'm not a big reader. I like short little snippets, but you know, one that I've always loved was Good to Great. That's a book that I've, I've always liked. And then number one piece of technology, that's interesting. I love technology and there's so many different tools that you can have in, in this workspace now. But one that I'm fascinated with, I haven't personally used it, but for those that are in fundraising thinking or looking at this is it's a company called Gravity and it's a, a software that uses a, starting to bring artificial intelligence into fundraising. And I think that there is a, a huge, huge opportunity for our field to kind of get with some of the times within AI. And I think they do a great job and, and look forward to hopefully being able to use that at some point. So that's, I would say a, anything AI right now getting into fundraising, I, I'm pretty fascinated with. Cool. Thanks, Mark. Over to you, Dale, with the same questions. Piece of advice, number one book, number one piece of technology. Sure. So the number one piece of advice is something that I say constantly to teams or groups that I speak with is I, I live by this, this phrase, habit forming is habit performing. And so what I mean by that is, you know, be mindful of the habits that you that you're picking up or that you're, you know, that you're introducing because ultimately that really does dictate how you how you perform in life, right? Like workplace, personal life, that sort of thing. And so I that's something that I've just that just sticks with me 
has stuck with me for many years. And I just finally just sort of shortened it down in, into that phrase. In terms of book, wow. So one that I've been promoting a lot <laughs> uh, lately, it's a collection of uh, Martin Luther King speeches uh, and sermons, and it's, it's called All Labor Has Dignity. Mm-hmm. And it's it's all about labor rights and economic justice, which is which is, I, I think is really, really important, especially to fundraisers to think about. And especially as we think about growing, you know, every one of us is reading all these articles about the growing diversity that we need to have in our pipeline <laughs> fundraising. Right. But mm-hmm. but oftentimes we don't we don't really understand the historical context there that might that might be leading to us still having challenges in, in terms of inviting and involving more folks than than what we what what has been our traditional basis, uh, if you will, and also it's just the king. I mean, he's just it's just amazing, right? Like <laughs> for, for for such a short life, the, the impact that he had. And so I'm I'm always trying to get people to read to read there that. And then in terms of you know technology, you know, Mark brought up something that I think is really interesting, and, and it, it is it is in this AI you know space. But one of the things the crusades I'm on right now is kind of related to what I said before about, you know, this economic justice. And one of the things that, that I find really disconcerting is, is the algorithms that we sort of use <laughs> in our field to try to identify who's the best prospect, mm. right? And so we tend to, but we tend to still deploy algorithms, particularly in, in advancement, like zip codes and things, right, that have proven to be discriminatory, Mm-hmm. And we, we take some of these tools that have proven to be discriminatory in a, in a larger sense, but have made them sort of the, we have made them the gatekeeper, if you will, as to who our fundraisers or our presidents or chancellors or who should be sort of engaging as we try to like, as we try to you know, break out our, these large databases, <laughs> you know, that we increasingly have. And from a technology standpoint, I'm hopeful that as AI and machine learning as we as that improves, that hopefully advancement through tools like Mark mentions like gravity will take more of those things into consideration mm-hmm. in our work as we go forward. And not bake biases into the systems that are being Yes, exactly. Yeah. Now there's a, there's a lot of bias in AI. And I, I love what you're talking about in terms of looking at a holistic approach to uh, to opportunity, really. So that's brilliant. Great. Well. I am so happy, Dale and Mark, that we had a chance to have this conversation. It was so rich. I feel like I have learned so much more about what it really takes to succeed in fundraising, to hear both of your parents' journeys. Uh, Thank you both for your time. Yeah, really excited to have been here with you today. Thank you, Dale. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, thank you both. Thank you both. Yeah, Mark, it's so great to catch up, my friend. Likewise, Dale. Great. So if you enjoyed the Parents at Work podcast, please share it with one friend, perhaps a friend who is in the fundraising profession, and go ahead and leave us a quick review on whatever source you found your your podcast today. Thanks so much for joining us, and we look forward to tuning in with you again next time.